Father, again, we thank you so much uh, for your grace and your mercy. Uh, again, we thank you uh, that you have allowed us to join together as uh, one unified body before your very presence. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would indeed open the eyes of our hearts and our minds, uh, that we may receive your word, uh, Lord God, and we may act upon it at the same time. Uh, again, uh, my prayer is that no one would leave this place today uh, the same way as they came into this place. Again, we come expecting, we pray uh, that we would not leave disappointed. Again, Father, uh, for all the things that you've already done for us, how we've already entered into this time of worship, we do thank you and we're very grateful for it. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I, uh, before I begin, uh, I have to make an announcement. Uh, Rick Thompson, who was supposed to have been speaking today, uh, he had uh, uh, contacted me. He told me that uh, uh, they had actually wanted him in Africa uh, a couple of days sooner. So the reason that he's not here today is because uh, he's in Niger, Africa, uh, as we worship today. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we should probably pray for him. Can we do that? Let's pray for Rick Thompson right now. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you uh, for Rick, uh, our, our district superintendent. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen him and keep him and allow him to uh, uh, impart his ministry on those other leaders and pastors there who are there uh, seeking a word uh, from God, uh, a word from a source whom they respect, Lord. Uh, we pray that Again, that all those lives will be changed and subsequently, consequently, Lord God, uh, also the lives of the individual churches, the, uh, the congregations whom those pastors and those leaders represent, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would protect Rick and that you would uh, uh, bring him home safely and that uh, no ill uh, may become over him, Lord God. Again, Father, he's your servant and he's your son. Uh, we place him in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Undoubtedly, most of us have heard recently the research that came from the uh, Pew Research Organization. Now, if you have not heard about this information, uh, here it is. Between 2007 and 2014, the Christian share of the population in the United States has fallen from 78.4% to about 70.6%. So 78% uh, to 70%. So what they're saying is that uh, over the course of these seven years, uh, those people who have uh, essentially claimed to be Christians, uh, that that number has gone down uh, significantly. They say this is driven mainly by those who consider themselves mainline Protestants. That means like those huge Baptists and uh, the Episcopalians, those folks. And also Catholics. Uh, that, uh, that number is largely driven by uh, those folks. But I also want you to know that uh, uh, they also include as being Christian, a Jehovah Witness as well in their study. 
But the number of people who have identified themselves as being Christian, it has fallen 8%. And the amount of people who uh, consider themselves nuns, that's what they're called, not, not N-U-N-S, right? Not that kind of nuns, but the N-O-N-E-S. We're not affiliated with this religion. We'll not, we're not fi- affiliated with that religion. We're just, in my opinion, right? This is me talking now. Uh, we are just spiritual. But I'm not associated with any church, whatever you consider a religious uh, organization or church to be. Now, when we hear this type of information, oftentimes it is a great cause for concern, right? You listen to that, and sometimes if you are truthful, in the pit of your gut, right, it kind of makes you wonder about the veracity or the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. In the pit of your gut, you, you begin to wonder as whether or not, if, if all this is true, then wouldn't it make sense that uh, the amount of people who are identifying themselves as Christians, that it would actually increase over time? So we have a tendency to worry about that. When we hear this news, we wonder what is happening with the church. What is our purpose? Why are we here if our, our, our numbers are being decimated? What are we doing? What is our purpose? Well, while we are not built up or torn down by what we hear in the media, amen, it should nevertheless be a wake-up call for you and I. uh, We should not hear this news and say, oh, well, and go about our business. When we hear that news, uh, I would suggest the first thing that you do, you you go to the source and try to figure out what's being said and how they're coming up with these numbers. Basically, they surveyed about 35,000 people, and they say, this is what's happening in the United States. So we must go to those numbers and find out what's going on, and then we must pray to ask ourselves, is this true of our world? While talking about what went on in the church almost 2,000 years ago, it may seem ancient and dated to some, but it is important that we go back and take a look at our roots. And remember, so that we can plot the journey that is ahead of us. So we can't uh, not, we should not ignore the information, but we must go back to our roots and figure out uh, what has God called us to so that we can address the future. In other words, when we hear this news, we should not sit idly by, apathetic and passive, Continue on the same path that we've been on, but we must be about the Lord's business. 
brings us to the day of Pentecost. But what happened on the day of Pentecost? A very important day for us. Would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now my goal is to try to cover as much of this chapter as I can, but wisdom dictates it is impossible. I could probably spend about uh, uh, half an hour talking about the first couple of verses. But I want us to go down, and I'm not going to ignore the first section, but I want us to begin uh, looking at verse 5. And this is the first thing that we discover that happened on the day of Pentecost, and here it is. The Holy Spirit-filled disciples declare God's mighty works. So that's the first thing that happened on the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit-filled disciples, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, that they declared God's mighty works. Here we go, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound... The multitude came together, and they were bewildered. And now this sound has to do with what we find in verses 1 through 4, right? When the Holy Spirit came, and he came as fire, and they began to speak in all these other languages that they, didn't, they did not previously know. Uh, verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Wait a minute. Uh, these are unlearned folks. How are we hearing these folks in our own language? Verse 11, please. We hear them telling in our own tongues what the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So those who are listening on, uh, they're hearing them speaking in this other language. They just said they're drunk. Uh, that, that's one thing that's pretty interesting to me, right? If you get drunk, then all of a sudden you can speak a new language? I know people who have gotten drunk and the language that they know you can't understand. I want you to notice the law of proportion. The law of proportion helps us pinpoint the most important focus in a conversation. For instance, if a friend always spoke of their children, then we assume that what's important to them are who? They're the children. But it becomes clearer. Uh, we've said it of others, and, and, and some may have said it about us, uh, that we say that all they ever talk about what? Are their children? All they ever talk about is their job, their graduation, their health. And if you've been hanging around me for the last uh, probably month now, you know that one of the focus of my conversation has been home remodeled. And they're still not done. So it is not that we literally talk about uh, this one thing in all of our conversation, but we talk about it enough to know kind of what's going on in our life. 
Now, here we go. Now, having said that, when we look at Acts chapter 2, there's plenty of things that we can park on and make it the central point. But the bottom line, there is only one central point. While it is truly a miraculous act by God, that 120 believers in the upper room that they spoke in other tongues, I don't think that this is the main point. Uh, for some reason, uh, some folks can look at this chapter and say the main point of uh, Acts chapter 2 is verses 1 through 4. Then they park there and they stay there and they forget about the rest. But I tell you that that is not the main point. The main point is uh, God does whatever he needs in order to get his message across. That's why we know that for sure. God does whatever he needs to do in order to get his message across. In our passage, we notice in verses 9 through 11 that there were Jews and converts who had traveled from all over the Roman Empire in order to attend Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. These two things are the same. Again, as, uh, uh, as Dave Abel told us, that uh, the word Pentecost, it dealt with basically in what's called the Septuagint, the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, that when they came to the Feast of Weeks, that they basically uh, translated that word basically as Pentecost, uh, meaning 50 days, so to speak. So that's how we get Pentecost. So we could say, right, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Acts, when the day of Feast of Weeks arrived, we could have said that, uh, but uh, this is the way they translated it, so this is what they used. So during this time, all over the Roman Empire, and if you have been a part of the Old Testament survey, uh, you have understood that at one time when Israel, I shouldn't say at one time, when Israel was rebellious towards the Lord, that he promised them, he promised them that I'm going to send you to another nation. You keep on acting crazy, my children, and I'm going to punish you. And they said, okay. And then they kept acting crazy. Eventually, uh, you remember that he came uh, and he used the nation of Assyria and they took whom captive? They took, some of you have been in my class, you know, who did they take captive? Israel, the northern, because it was divided. And then after that, uh, Judah, which was now the southern portion of the kingdom, uh, they start acting crazy. And who did God use to take them captive? Babylon, right? So he used Babylon to take them captive, and he took them all the way back to their land. And then after that, there was another nation who had, who had arisen, who came, and they, uh, so in other words, Babylon, they became so great that they took over Assyria. Then the Medes and the Persians they became so great that they took over the Babylons and also the Assyrians. Right? Remember that? And then after that, you, you remember what happened? It was uh, the Greeks who came in. Right? They, they just keep coming over. Remember Alexander the Great? He came over and he, he took them and he took them back. Right? And then the Romans came. Uh, the Caesars, they came. And they took them all over the place. So now all the Jews were spread out all over this area. They were everywhere. So the reason that they had come back they had come back because of tradition. They had come back because of what they saw in the Word to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. They come back for this time from all these different nations. So in order to address 
the need to get everyone's attention, God empowered followers of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to declare the mighty works of God in languages they had never learned. It says there in verse 11 in Acts 2, we hear them telling in our own languages uh, the, the, the mighty work, their own tongues, the mighty works of God. It's interesting that what they should have focused on, they were not able to do. They were caught up in the speaking languages and not in the message that they brought forth. They're speaking the language. They weren't saying, wow, listen to what they're saying. They were saying, wow, listen to how they're saying it. Isn't it interesting that even in God's church, that a lot of times that we're not interested in God's word, but we're more interested in how it's being displayed. We oftentimes get so wrapped up in personalities and other minuscule issues that we miss the main points. The people heard the disciples, they were more astonished in how they were proclaiming this message than the very content of the message. Yet I am certain that the Lord was well aware of the people's propensities and their tendencies. And this is why he used a miraculous sign, and that was to get their attention. They may not have paid attention in any other way. What is that one thing that will finally get your attention to get you to pay attention to the work of the Lord here in the Chicago area, here in Oak Lawn? What is that one thing that will jar you once and for all? Remember, on the day of Pentecost, people journeyed to Jerusalem for a huge religious assembly. But on hearing what they heard, they were still confused as to what it all meant. They heard all these things happening, but they're like, they're like the children of Israel uh, when uh, the manna started, that bread from heaven uh, started coming down, and they said manna, right? And the word manna basically means, what is this? So it could have been like when they heard these tongues, uh, so to speak, it wasn't bread from heaven, but it was fire from heaven. And they start saying, man, well, basically, what is this? What does this all mean? This is what it means. It means the work of the Holy Spirit made way for the work of Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit, it made way for the work of Jesus Christ, working in tandem. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 24, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter is preaching. He's saying, this is about Jesus. What you're hearing, this is about Jesus Christ. The point of the day of Pentecost, if you've missed it so far, it is about Jesus and his church. Amen? It is about Jesus and his church. You know, uh, they weren't necessarily going around uh, having a celebratory good time, uh, but when Jesus came in, when the fire came in, it was pointing back to him and his work. <clears throat> Many times we do <clears throat> plenty of things, but oftentimes we just miss the point. Much of our lives, uh, someone wrote a book called Adventures in Missing the Point. 
right? We kind of shuffle around life when we do stuff. You know how it is, right? You just go from day to day. You go to work, right? You wake up. You do this. You do that. It's time to go to sleep. You go to sleep. You wake up. The alarm clock come, alarm clock comes on. Uh, in my case, I wake up before the alarm clock comes on. Right? Uh, uh, you, uh, however you get up, you get up, and you start the process over and over again, and we never take any time to examine what's going on in our life. Socrates says that the unexamined life is not even worthy of, of living. Is your life one adventure after another in missing the points? Do you see things and wonder about their spiritual significance only to leave uh, that experience empty yet again. The reason why so many people were in Jerusalem on that day, the reason we are here today, is because the Holy Spirit has drawn us. Those people did not know when they were coming from Rome, when they were coming from Iran, Iraq, and all these other places to get to Jerusalem, they did not know that it was the Holy Spirit drawing them. It wasn't, it wasn't they just wanted to have a good time. It was the Spirit of God trying to do a work in them. I can imagine them coming to, again, uh, this uh, wonderful festival. They're coming to the festival, and they walk into the festival, and they say, yeah, here's another one of these Jewish festivals, and they decide just to go to sleep. But when everybody started babbling, right, and, and all these languages, then all of a sudden they hear the sound and it wakes them up and they're wondering, man, what is this? What is going on? The Holy Spirit points us to God in worship. Our worship should not be directed towards people because when, it, uh, when we uh, think about people and, and focus our worship on people, then it is an adventure in missing the point. The point is not how well someone's performed or does not perform during worship. Rather, it should be how or what is our standing before the Lord. I know that Jesus is important at Christmas. I know Jesus is important during Resurrection Sunday. But I also know that Jesus is important during Pentecost Sunday as well. Amen. This was the time in which he decided to spread the gospel in such a powerful way that he could not even be missed. Even if you try your best to ignore, you could not ignore Jesus' work. Peter tells us that through Jesus, uh, there, there was an operation, many mighty works, wonders, and signs. What? What? Jesus of Nazareth, the man, attested to you in verse 22, by God with mighty works and wonders and and signs that God did through him in your midst. This is said about Jesus in Matthew 15.30. Matthew 15.30. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet. And Jesus did what? He healed them. Peter was saying, this is that same Jesus we're trying to, uh, to point you to. But it was all accomplished through uh, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, including his crucifixion. 
So it's pretty interesting uh, that oftentimes we appeal to a respected source of information when we are trying to prove a point. We try to connect with those who are listening to us. Attorneys may appeal to a previous ruling uh, in another case to strengthen their position on a desired course of action. Presidents appeal to previous uh, success or failures of other presidents in passing legislation, especially if they were on the opposite side of the political uh, plan, uh, thereby uh, trying to create something brand new. On the day of Pentecost, Peter appeals to the prophet Joel, and also, here it is, right, he calls David a prophet. Peter calls David a prophet. There he wants people to see, this is Peter wants people to see that this is the time in which God had decided to do something special and to do it in and through Jesus Christ. He said, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at this. Come on. Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. Acts 2, 25 through 27. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter was saying that this one, this Jesus Christ, he would be resurrected. This is what David is saying. Peter said this of David. He's interpreting the word of God. Even Peter himself, now he is being moved by the Holy Spirit to bring all these things together. The same one whom is both Lord and Christ was crucified by the very Jews who long sought for relief from the dominant powers. Imagine that. They wanted relief. They, they wanted help from their situation, from being politically dominated. Can you imagine them crying out to, to Yahweh all the time? Oh, Lord, save us. Save us from the enemy. Save us. Save us. Kind of be like uh, if, if your home caught fire, right? If your home caught fire and you call, first thing you do, you, you dial 911. Well, maybe you run out the house, right? And uh, depending on the nature of the fire, then you dial 911 and you wait outside for the fire department to come. And then soon as the fire department comes, you pick up a bat. And they say, we're here to uh, put out the fire in your house. And you take that bat and you say, I wish you would come near my house. You better not come near my house. So they're like, wait a minute, we're here to save you. And, and then they start throwing sticks and rocks and everything else. Said, no, 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 you stay away, you stay away. Like, wait a minute, how can you cry out for help? And then when your help comes, you start, uh, you, you, you try to kill those who want to help you. Oh, this is what happened with the Jews. Uh, they, for years and years, they were crying out freedom from political domination, freedom. God sends Jesus Christ, and what do they do? crucified him. They dialed 911 on the phone, and then finally when help arrived, they killed the help. This is exactly what Peter was trying to explain to them. Oh, they wanted to help all right, but just not the way God would bring them help. <laughs> this is much like people today who insist on being spiritual but they reject or demean the whole idea of Jesus Christ. 
What happens next? What happens next on the day of Pentecost? People respond to the work of Jesus. Verse 37, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ? Again, understand that explanation of the day of Pentecost not simply includes the birth of the church, but also the institution of the last days. I want you to know that. This is also the beginning of the end. Peter quotes the prophet Joel when he says, uh, here in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, can't miss this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This right here is the beginning and not the full complete uh, completion of what would happen. But Peter said, this is what Joel is saying, and this is what you're seeing right before you today. He says, in the last days. In the last days. So this is the beginning of the end. The coming of the Spirit promised by Jesus in Luke 24, 49 is also an indication of the start of the last days or end times. Understand that it is not the full-fledged end times uh, that you may have heard about uh, with the total disaster. People say, man, I can't be the end times because look at here, everything is normal, everything is the way it should have been. Uh, but God is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. But what you see here is kind of like the beginning. This is the start of the whole thing, that his, his plan is a lot larger than what you think. The way we view prophecy means there will be a, a certain order of events that will happen. Some way, it is possible that we could get some of these things wrong. What if you get something out of order and something happens the way you didn't expect for it to happen? You say, oh, no, that can't be the work of Jesus Christ because according to my plan, when I put everything together, this should have happened. The bottom line is we're supposed to be ready when? When he comes. Remember, Scripture is infallible and without error, error, not us. So with this understanding, the last days means there's an impending judgment upon the earth. Most of the prophets had previously warned Israel about their rebellious nature and their soon forced exile to nations they did not know in the Old Testament. Many of the prophecies were not completed, uh, were not completed once they were into exile, but they even com uh, are completed and they continue even today. 1 Peter 1 Verses 10 and 11, Peter says this, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. They wanted to know what was going on. Peter understood through the work of the Spirit that the words of Joel, uh, that the prophet, uh, the prophet uh, that they were beginning to be fulfilled right before their very eyes. You and I, as we hear God's word, should also make these connections and understand that the Lord is also doing the work right before us here today uh, through our churches. The question is, however, how do you respond? How do I respond? That's the question. Every believer has an important role. How many believers? Is it some? 
Is it some believers that have an important role, or is it every believer? Every believer. Every believer has an important role if the Spirit has indeed indwelt you. Believers live in the spirit of Christmas. We live in the spirit of the resurrection, but also we live in the spirit of Pentecosts. So people respond to the message of Jesus by repenting, by repenting, being baptized, and receiving the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, scripture says that they were cut to the heart. Because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes about Jesus, they realized that they were heading straight for judgment. <laughs> know for yourselves, however, that if you don't know Christ, you are heading for a very severe judgment that you've been trying to avoid just because you are a nice person. <laughs> People say, as long as I'm nice and I treat everybody fairly and I continue to be good, then I'm okay, then I'm going to make it to heaven. It reminds me of the person who <clears throat> was accused of a crime 35 years ago, and he got away. 35 years, he was free as a bird. And then one day, and this happened several weeks ago, I believe now, they finally caught up with this guy. And he was thinking that maybe they would have forgotten after all this time. Same thing with us. Regardless of how nice you are, how nice you may be, for a holy God, it was not nice enough. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to protect you. The facade of niceness cannot cover up a spiritually decayed person before the Lord. <clears throat> As I told some of you that uh, when the workers were working on our bathroom and they were uh, and they were doing a demolition. They started tearing out the walls. I mean, the walls were, the walls were pretty much okay. Just, I was just worried about the shower floor, right? Just the wall. <clears throat> and um, so they ripped, the, they, they, they ripped the walls out, pulled the insulation out. And lo and behold, if you want to see this picture, I'll show it to you later when we're done. Lo and behold, we had, we had a gutter sticking in our house. The gutter was in the house. Not outside the house. The gutter was in the house. I'm like, man, I'm thinking to myself, man, we could have saved on our water bill if I knew water was flowing like that all the time. That's the way we are a lot of times. We look real good on the inside. But as soon as God begins to rip all the exterior away, it's nothing but a mess. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You may be nice, but when my eyes, which are a flame of fire, begin to look at your soul, you, are, oh man, now, you are without excuse. So now we see here, verse 42 in Acts 2. After all this is together, right, uh, people are now coming to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ to be saved uh, uh, from their sin. And we see this very important thing. Finally, a spiritually vital community is formed. A spiritually vital community is formed. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
we must not ignore on the day of Pentecost as believers came together. Can you imagine how God, how pleased God is that we're worshiping together today? Can you imagine how God is pleased with us? So thank you all who said, yes, I'm going to come to church a half hour later. Thank you all who decided I'm going to come to church uh, an hour and a half early. I know you're probably really happy more than anybody else, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I get to leave church early. No, that's not why. You say, yeah, yeah, we get a chance to fellowship longer with the saints. Today I am overjoyed again as our two churches have come together to celebrate and commemorate Pentecost Sunday. Mind you, this day is not just for us, but it's also about all those who are far away from Christ. Nevertheless, once people came together, they began a community which grew in numbers and in closeness. Oh, we can text all we want to. You can email, you can Facebook, you can Instagram. Every time we turn around, there's something brand new to communicate. But somehow they're figuring out that people are still lonely. How is that even possible? How can you just be a text away or a Skype away or whatever away and you're still lonely where you are? Because that's not true community. True community happens when we are face-to-face. -face. Oh, I do my church on television at home. That is not true community. Simply doesn't happen that way. Whether or not our churches grow in the thousands, that's not our business. Our business is that we take advantage of every single opportunity that the Lord lays before us. Which means, not just in the teaching, amen, but in the fellowship, eating meals together, and also in prayer. Verse 47 of our passage tells us that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I don't think this is a formula, right? We always try to put formulas together, say, this is the way you do it. Man, I have goo gobs of books. I, I, I spoke to a group of pastors, uh, I think it was sometime last year, and, uh, and they wanted, uh, I know, they wanted some kind of secret. So what I did, I, took a, I, I brought from my library a stack of books like this. Literally, I took a, a stack of books like this. And uh, I took them to this conference where I was speaking at, and I put them on the table. And I began by asking the question, how many of you guys are familiar with all these books? They're like, oh, yeah, I know this book. Oh, yeah, I know this book. I said, well, all these books, I pushed them all aside. We're not going to talk about any of them. They're like, what? I said, we need to talk about how we need to pray. We need to talk about uh, trying to discern the voice of God to figure out where God is taking us. That's what we need to be concerned about. Some of those pastors told me later, you know, this was not what I expected, but it is exactly what I needed. God has been convicting me about this, and I'm so glad uh, that you brought this message today. So the church here in Acts 2, it was powerfully formed through the breath of God. Remember what happened with Adam when, when, when God brought Adam into being, that he, God breathed the breath of life into Adam. He became what? Alive. In Ezekiel chapter 37, 
the Lord asked Ezekiel, can these very dry bones live? Ezekiel was smart. He says, what? Well, Lord, oh, you know. But he, God told him to speak that word, and he spoke that word, and then the wind, the breath of God, came and caused those bones to live. You know where I'm going if you were ahead of me, right? And then on the day of Pentecost, you got all these Christians. Jesus is, has died. He's giving them instruction, and they're just hanging out in the upper room. No power. I don't know what kind of, maybe they're having a pity party. I don't know, but they were praying for sure. They were, they were devoted for sure, but I don't know what it was like. But what I do know is that when the Holy Spirit came, it came like a mighty rushing wind. And then what happened to the believers? The believers, in essence, as the church, they came alive. That the church came alive on the day of Pentecost. I know some of you may say, well, you know, I don't believe what some folks say about, you know, <clears throat> every time that you're saved, you only say is only when you get the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues. Well, I don't know about all that, but what I do know is this, that if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that you are made alive before the Lord. So how should we respond? We should respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading this good news all over the place. Two words, two words, euangelion, which means gospel, good news. But there's another word that says epangelion. Epangelion means the promise. So God has a promise to save those whom receive the euangelion, the good news, which will breathe good, a new life into uh, the person who's dead in their trespasses and, and dead in their sins. God promises to everyone who draws near to him, he's going to draw near to them. But he does it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. On the day of Pentecost, we all should be alive. We all should celebrate, but our celebration doesn't end here. Our celebration continues in the streets and on your job. And if you work out wherever you work out, that's where Pentecost continues to move. Do you receive God's word? I receive God's word today. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much. We thank you for your mercy and also your grace and, and all the things that you have accomplished in our midst. Lord God, uh, you've given us strength, you've given us wisdom, but yet you've given us Jesus Christ, and in this we celebrate and we thank you, Lord Jesus. And the church says amen. The church says amen. The church says amen. It is. Lord God, we pray again that you would be pleased with our hearts today as we have joined together in this great assembly of believers. Now with every head bowed, there's someone in here that does not know Jesus Christ. We want to present him to you. That if you are lost in your sins and you are lost in your sin if you don't know Jesus Christ, 
we would have you to stand to your feet if there's one in here today that says, if you say that I want to know Jesus, is there one in here today that says, I want to know Jesus? Is there one? Is there one? So, Father, again, we thank you so much just for this wonderful time that we've had. Uh, again, Lord God, may you be pleased. May we take your word and may it travel with us uh, for the rest of our lives and especially uh, for the upcoming festivities, uh, if there are festivities in our home and also in our work week as well. We love you and we thank you. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.